Good morning. Today we'll be finishing up Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. I remember the first time I ever read this uh, section here in chapter 7 from verse 13 to 25. To, to say I was confused would be an understatement. I, uh, it was almost like Dr. Seuss had wrote it and left me scratching my head. It was just like a short circuit in my brain. It didn't, it didn't compute. You'd come out of chapter 5, you know, understanding justification. The law arouses sin, yet, yet grace overcame sin through Christ's righteousness. And grace reigns over sin. And chapter 6 tells us we cannot live in sin because we died to it. We were dead in sin. We had died to sin. We were resurrected in the newness of life in Christ who defeated sin. We see Paul pleading to live holy lives as outlined by the law. We see that grace is not a license to sin. It is through grace that God does what the law could not do in us. Galatians 3.16 tells us the, that no one is justified by the law. The law is a standard. It's not an active force. It shows us where we, we fall short or in dire need of a savior. It serves as a restraint in society. It's, you can go this far, but no, no more. The reality is, even, even though we've been delivered from sin, we, we still struggle with it. We still fall short of the glory of God. Having died, we were delivered from the law that, that we should serve in the newness of this spirit and not in the oldness of the letter as we had learned. And the book of Romans is littered with, with anticipated questions that Paul has from his audience. It's question after question. There's 47 questions in, in the book of Romans. And 10 of those are answered meganoito, God forbid, the highest form of no as we will see again today. In verse 7 here in chapter 7, he anticipates the law being labeled as sin. Again, meganoito, the law is, is impersonal. It's, it's, it's an inanimate boundary. It's like a fence. It, it really does nothing in and of itself. It's just a boundary. If It cannot be sin if it's inanimate. It would be like looking in the mirror and blaming the mirror for you being ugly. You don't go out and buy a new mirror and hope you look better in the next one. It's just the same old, same old you. The mirror just reveals ugly or, or dirty. It's like what, what James says. You look in the, the perfect law of liberty and, and you don't change. You, don't, you, you see your dirty face, but you don't fix it. You don't go out and buy a new mirror. The law defines what is holy and good and just. We are just ugly. Spurgeon says this about the law. It says, even Moses could, could not carry those tables in his hand without breaking them, nor can I do any better. You can't even, you can't even carry the, the tablets that were written on without breaking them. So if you've been as confused as 
I was. My earnest prayer today is that we will leave a little less confused after today. So if you are able, please stand with me as we give honor to God's word. Romans 17, verses 13 to 25. This is the infallible word of God. Let us hear the word of our Lord. But then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, that nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I will, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law, then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Merciful Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that inspired him. We just ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your spirit and illumine this text to our hearts. Let us learn of you. Father, it's, it's not for me to stand before your people and utter a single word of, of yours. I am wholly unworthy. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness that your word and your will would go forth and accomplish all you set it forth to do. We love you and we praise your holy name. It's the matchless name of Christ we all pray and all of God's children said. Amen. So he starts with, has what is good become death to me? As mentioned before, thank you, son. Another anticipated question again the, the knowledge of sin the, the law defines sin it, it also arouses sin as we learned back in in chapter five it like josh had went over when you when somebody tells you not to do something the first thing you want to do is just do it and, and it's the it's human nature that's how we're that's how we are as sinful man and in and, and this imaginary conversation maybe you anticipate well paul if the, if the law causes sin to increase and sin is evil we must conclude that the law is sin so if, you, if you're convicted of a crime, it's not, it's not the law's fault that you did it. It's yours. You, you have that responsibility to obey the law. He, he at the right time, he's right on time, he's going to make ganoito, may never be again the highest of no's, God forbid. And this law, it doesn't earn punishment, but it, it demands it. 
it, it, it is a product of, of the law for the one who broke it. Again, merely a standard. It says, but sin that might appear sin was, was producing death in me through what is good so that, that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The law itself is, is good. Breaking the law is evil. The law doesn't cause death. Breaking the law brings death. Law merely reveals sin, and sin brings this death. The light of the law exposes the darkness, which is sin. The light of the law is that. It exposes. The law, although it is good, produces death. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, deserving only his wrath. So, so why the law? So, well, the bad news comes first. Sin is, is not revealed apart from it. And then comes the good news of the gospel. The law is the standard of God. It's, it's, it's what's good and right and holy. It's his standard. It's only perverted by sin. Instead of producing goodness in man, sinful man breaks it and it only condemns. In Galatians 3, Nineteen to twenty-four. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and is appointed to through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Meganoito. For if there had been a law given which had given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law, but the scripture has confined all other sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. The ultimate purpose of the law is to drive us to Christ. He fulfilled the law, the law that we couldn't. We were incapable. It is his righteousness that is the fulfillment of the law which is, is credited to the, to the child of God. It's as if we lived this perfect life. We were then freed from the con condemnation of the law. We're freed from sin and, and remain free in Christ. And the law is good, sin is bad, Christ is better. The law through sin brings only death. And Christ brings life. Much like we were saved by grace through faith, we were condemned by law through sin. And then here Paul begins to, to describe the, the inner struggle that all believers have with sin as revealed by the law. He goes on to say, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I, I am carnal, sold under sin. Now Paul is contrasting the law with the flesh because the law is spiritual is the idea because... He's not changing the subject, but reaffirming that the law is not to blame. The law is, is passive, but being carnal, we struggle with it. It's the old man, I, I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody says. Some translations read, I am of the flesh. And 
and this seems to be a better translation in my opinion, he's not, he doesn't say that he's in the flesh as in, as in being in the world. Some argue that Paul is addressing unbelievers here because of the, the being sold under sin, and it, this isn't the case, as we'll see in the following verses. Paul is about to show us we will contend with this flesh continually as children of God because in sanctification, it's, it's a process. It's ongoing until, until we die. And it kind of seems like Paul has lost some of his confidence that, that we, we saw in chapter 6. And some argue that this free person in chapter 6 can't be the same person here as if he were a slave to sin again. They go on and, and teach this false doctrine of perfectionism. It's the idea that we can be fully sanctified in this life, meaning sinless. And this is a, is a heretical view. Uh, a lot of the Wesleyans and others fall into that heresy. And it begs the question, do you even first John, have you, <laughs> to say that you're sinless makes you a liar, which is, um, last I checked, lying was sin. So to even try to say that you were sinless, you make yourself a liar according to the word of God. The idea here is we're trapped in a, in a sinful body, even though we were redeemed. In Psalm 51, verses 1 to 3, Psalm of David, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me always before me. My sin is always in front of me, ever before him. So we have this new mind and we're stuck in our old body, a new creation, and Christ stuck dragging around our old dead self. As Paul begins to demonstrate in the next verse here, for I, what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. <laughs> His new nature, Paul knows what's right. The, the, the spirit of God revealing the truth of the law. And he's, well, this is what's good and pleasing. I can't do it. The righteousness of God is displayed in the law. And you, How do you know that Christ lived a perfect, righteous life? The law. Just like Paul, we can, we can never live up to this standard, he, we have this new nature in Christ, which is constantly at war with our members. There's this inner struggle for the child of God. It's, it's not, however, that we are incapable of any good. We are not completely unfaithful. We often lose some battles. We feel shame when we fail and and can identify with, with David in Psalm 51 when he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. It's the Lord, I can't be what your law demands, which is why I confess along with Paul, that which I hate, I do. The only sacrifice I can bring to you, Lord, is 
I don't have anything else to offer. MacArthur notes that sin is so wretched and powerful that even a redeemed person, it hangs on to and, and contaminates his living and frustrates his inner desire to obey the will of God. Moving on, he's, Paul says, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, agreeing with the law. Paul is saying that it's not the law's fault. The law is, is good. It's, it's the definition of what's good. I agree wholeheartedly that the, that the law is good. I long to honor the law, which is pleasing to God with everything I have, but I can't. In sanctification, which is the, the topic here, is the Holy Spirit producing a longing for the law that is ever-increasing. The only place for sin to, to, to live is, is an unredeemed flesh. We desire what is good. The, the will to do good is very much present in a born-again child of God. We have this ever-increasing desire for holiness, and, which in turn produces an ever-increasing hatred for our sin. The conflict is that we end up doing the very things that we hate. First Samuel records that, that David was a, a man after God's own heart. And then if you look at the life of David, he was pretty rotten. Not that we're any better, but he was a good example of a sinner. Some that teach perfectionism would, would argue, I don't know if you've heard this, but like David wasn't saved. They would argue that Paul wasn't saved. And it's, not, it's not in Scripture. You couldn't, you couldn't prove that from Scripture. And the Messiah is named the son of David, or one of his many glorious names. So how, how could David be a man after God's own heart. We saw a, a glimpse of it in, in Psalm 51. What about Psalm 32? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand, hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters there shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord 
mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David again, broken, pouring out his heart. What does God do? He forgives him. Why? Because he is faithful and just to do just that. A repentant heart is a redeemed heart. An unrepentant heart is an unredeemed heart. Paul continues here his lament in verse 18. He says, For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells in me. For to will is present with me, but to perform what is good I do not find. No good in the flesh here. He did not say nothing good dwells at all. Because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. There's a difference. Positionally, we are fully redeemed or fully sanctified, but we reside in unredeemed bodies. MacArthur points out once again, our bodies are a base camp for sin. Mark 14, Jesus asked the disciples to, to watch and pray. And when he comes back, what does he, what does he find? They're, they're all asleep. He says... The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Temptation comes from within, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is indeed willing. It's, it's the perfect spirit of God at work in us. The flesh is weak because it's unredeemed and waging war with our new nature. Remember those old cartoons when you had the, the, the little angel on the shoulder on this shoulder, and you had the little devil over here, and the little angel's like, hey, this is what you should do. And the little devil's like, oh, you should do this because it's going to be fun. And he's promising something good's going to come out of it. And, and always the, the cartoon character chooses evil. And nothing good comes out of it. It's not, it's not a real far stretch, is it? We have this spirit of God saying this is what's good and right have this unredeemed flesh saying this is what I want to do and they're at odds the flesh is the only place sin can affect the child of God the flesh is the only part of the child of God capable of sin Ovid a Roman poet wrote I see the better things and I approve them but I follow the worse Paul is not saying again he's not he's not absolutely no good He's saying he's not perfect. He was saying, I'm, I'm not capable of filling the righteous requirements of the law completely. In Philippians 3, Paul demonstrates this. Down in verse 12, he said, Not that I've already attained or, I, I'm, or already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me brethren I do not caught myself as have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which were behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I press toward the goal of the upward prize for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus And he's using the analogy of the, of the runner. Press on here, dioko. It means, 
as in to press on in a race swiftly toward a goal. Paul hasn't laid hold of the prize. He don't have it yet, but keeps running toward it. He says, the one thing I do is forget those things that are behind. Yesterday's gone. Whatever I did is gone. It's done. Any good or evil I did yesterday is there. It's best to leave it there. You don't need to carry that with you. It only slows you down. Another part of an analogy of running is that runners are trained to not look back. You look forward. You look, you look to the finish line. You keep running. Looking back is no, is no use. It, it, it only makes you distracted. You, you can fall and stumble. Look where you're going. And Paul... Verse 19 continues to pour his heart out. He says, For the good I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. From the other side of the, the predicament, Paul says, I, I practice even, even though I despise it. He, you know, it's interesting. Paul could have picked a new believer. He could have picked... Uh, David or any, any particular person that might have been near him to, to demonstrate this struggle that, that a Christian has, but he didn't. He, he chose himself as this example. Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anyone. He was a lifelong student of the law, but only when the Spirit illuminated the law in his life, he could see the severity of his sin. He he had this great knowledge, but his grace brought wisdom, and, and he, he thought he was blameless in the law as a Pharisee, but got humbled really quick. In 1 Timothy, he refers to himself as the chief among sinners. We like to beat ourselves up over sin. We hold on to guilt and, and question our salvation. We, we think we should be doing better. Well, the thought is correct. We should be doing better. It's a, it's a good place to start. You've got to realize something. Are you, are you better than Paul? Can, can, you, can you sanctify yourself? The reality is a mature Christian will only grow more aware of their sinfulness. Um, I think it was R.C. Sproul said that if God revealed how sinful he truly was, it would kill him. The weight of that would literally kill him. I would think that's true. When we see that the law is good and can't be blamed for our sin, we are no longer slaves to sin and no longer under its dominion. So, so where's this blame rightly placed? And he moves on. He says, now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's basically repeating what he said in, in verses 16 and 17, but it says, I no longer do it. I'm no longer doing it. Almost sounds like a cop-out. You're still responsible. Let's... Spurgeon calls sin an outlaw hiding in your nature. It is a plotter planning your overthrow. And it remains as an enemy warring against the law of your mind. The no longer I who do it, 
He was speaking of his pre-conversion, his condition before coming to Christ. Unconverted people don't talk about how they were. They're still there. He's no longer a slave to sin. The remnant of sin which dwells in us wins some battles. The body is still corrupt. Sin is present. And Paul can rightly say it's the sin that remains from unredeemed flesh. He's not in the flesh, worldly, but the flesh remains. As Josh taught us last week in verse 8, here in chapter 7, sin plus the commandments or the law produces all, all manner of evil. The law is good, but sin being aroused by the law brings evil, which is why Paul says in our next verse, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Again, flesh is the, the base camp for sin. Having a regenerate heart reveals Evil being present within, it's a light. It exposes. This is a common thing for every child of God. It's literally two natures warring against each other within you. You are holy and wrestling with evil that resides within you. The law of evil resisting the law of God. And Paul hates no, doing what he, he, what he knows is wrong, but he, he does it anyway. And sin is the culprit. Evil is the other law saying, oh, yes, I can. I can do that. Then he reminds him, himself of this, for I delight on the law of God according to the inward man. A redeemed person has this assurance that sin is no longer their master if they love the law of God. Christ, the eternal word, the logos, the embodiment of the law. You, you couldn't say that I love Jesus and hate his law. You, you can't love someone and hate who they are. We take joy in the law as a new creation in Christ. The law is good, righteous, and holy. A godly person delights in the law. In Psalm 119, verse 47, And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Down to 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The law is good. It is our delight. It's a reflection of God's character, which we saw in Christ. I worked with a guy. He told me he felt like the Bible was just a means to control man. Well, that's a good start, sir. You being an atheist, that's a really good place to start. I said it absolutely is a means to control man. We're, we have laws that are 
really based on the law of God. You know, we don't, like, killing is wrong. Almost everybody would agree to that. I was asked a month or so ago if I was a theonomist, and my response was that I believe the law of God is what's good for humanity as a whole. In, in that much, in and of that much, I'm a theonomist, but haven't really dove too far deep into that. And again, I've told you before, I'm not the biggest fan of labels. Uh, when you meet somebody and you got to go through this whole list of things, are you this or that? Or then, you know, we were like Josh wrote in his paper. Well, we were almost friends. We didn't. We we lined up at every point, but this. It's Christ. It's not Calvin or Arminius or Luther or or the Pope. Of course, that's heretical. We don't need the Pope. Never mind. Scratch the Pope. Can't do the Pope. But really, I want to best understand what what the Word of God says, and that's really it. Call me a Berean. That would be a, that would be the greatest honor to me. Uh, I can't remember when it was, but there was the the evil Bible. Anybody know what the evil Bible is? Uh, it was uh, they left out not when in the commandment when it says thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> it says thou shalt commit adultery. So it got me to thinking: what if God's laws were not the laws that we have, like? If, if it said, thou shalt commit adultery, we would all hate adultery. I mean, think about it. Sinful man is like, hates the law of God. Like, what are you doing today? Got to go commit adultery. That's what the law says. Or, you know, uh, I got to go kill somebody. I hate it, but, you know, it's, it's, what, it's what the... I mean, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but in our nature, we would hate those things. It's It's quite... It's quite like that. The reality is a child of God is going to be more like the Son of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The running through the prize here, we are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How? It's by the Spirit's work in, in us in conjunction with the word he inspired. And it's, it seems that most people think that sanctification is a synergistic process. They, if you read and study more, the, the Holy Spirit sanctifies you more for your efforts. You, you're, you're rewarded. And definitely reading is rewarding. My wife spent all day yesterday studying. As I study for today, and she just comes out of the blue and says, I feel so much. I didn't watch TV. I didn't goof off all day. I was in the Word of God, and I feel great. Right? It is rewarding. We, we have this idea that your, your justification and your glorification are, are all works of God. But, but God needs a little help. <laughs> he needs a little help over here right in the middle. You've you got to help him out. It's really, it's really not the, quick, the case, and it's quite ridiculous. Read, study, pray, yes, absolutely. And, and how, how else can we grow in, in understanding who God is and, and the great work that that Christ did on our behalf and in the redemption found in him and in the history that's there. I mean, there's just so rich information and, and knowledge that can be gleaned from it. 
but he doesn't need any help. Where does this desire to even be in the Word come from? Right? We never had it before, and why do we have it now? It's, it's circular. The, the desire to be in the Word comes from God. The, the application of the Word of God comes from, from God by the Holy Spirit. It's all His work. The, the product of that is us being more like Christ. More like Christ. Salvation, which includes justification, sanctification, and glorification, are all a work of God. Why? Lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2. Jesus didn't ask the fathers, like, hey, could you help sanctify them because I'm leaving? In chapter 17 of John, he did, could you help them out? I'm leaving. What did he say? He said, sanctify them. He didn't say, you need to work together with these people that I redeemed. He said, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. So what do these people do? They like to pluck sanctification right out of the middle and place part of it in your hands. What is that? It's putting works right back on your shoulders. If the man who wrote the book on sanctification couldn't sanctify himself, what in the world makes you think you can? In Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Where does the desire to delight yourself in the Lord come from? The Lord. What are the desires of your heart that he gives? To delight yourself in him. Just as Paul did, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. We begin to seek this kingdom first. The kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, and, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some translations say which are being saved, others say being saved, and in the Greek, here's just one word, sozo. It's a present passive participle. It's being done, present, passive, as in not your doing. Participle, verb, means it's being done to you. In Romans 8.30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. He, not us. Paul is all children of God, delight himself in the law of God. But have the, the same struggle within. He goes on to say, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. The other law is the law of evil. Verse 21, or the law of sin. The law of his mind is the law of God, the newness, the new character. Captivity here is akimalotso. 
It's the idea of a wounded war prisoner led away captive. You're hurt. You're caught. You're caught in sin. This inner struggle leads the man often into imprisonment. The mind is inclined toward the law, but the, the flesh is weak. Like the psalmist in one, Psalm 119, again. We'll go back there. My soul breaks with the longing for your judgments at all times. He's weak. Longing, desiring the law of God. And his sin, he, he, he says in verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Receive me according to, revive me according to your word. I'm sorry. In verse 88. Revive me according to your loving kindness, though, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. On down to 176, the very end. For I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is on his mind. Even though I've gone astray, this is at the forefront of my thought. We would, we would like to think that being in the word would pacify us. It would pacify the evil that resides in us. And it, it does help us to refocus. But... But it's temporary. As soon as he step away, what do we do? You fall flat on your face again. You sin. Fail miserably. We have this complete and perfect salvation in Christ, but reside in imperfect bodies. We have this renewed mind, but dragging away these old, old dead bones, yet to be renewed. So we're trapped in this battle of evil good and evil raging within our members and, and along with Paul we cry, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's broken here the, the, of his great sin which is present within. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm a wretched sinner trapped in a body of death that I can't deliver myself from. Who will? And the perfectionist here would argue that this is Paul speaking of his pre-conversion days or maybe he wasn't converted at all. This cannot be the case. An unconverted person is not broken hearted over their sin. That's what they naturally do. They're slaves to sin. It's their, it's their vocation, their job. An unrepentant person will not have a repentant heart. Only a regenerate person will truly speak this way. An unregenerate person wouldn't wonder who's going to deliver him from a body of death. They don't have a need for a deliverer, or they think. We see this with David in Psalm 130.
Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul awaits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The law of sin in our members is raging war within our members. And here Paul is using another military term. It's ruomai. It means being rescued from danger like a soldier coming along rescuing a, a wounded POW. Paul looked forward to the day he would, he would be rescued from his own prison here. We've heard Josh share this before. Near Tarsus, where Paul was born, uh, there was a tribe that had a very unique way of, of punishing murderers. They would take the body of the person that they murdered and tie it to them tightly. And you were forced to carry that dead person around until it began to decay and rot. And then it would infect the murderer and eventually kill him. That's a disgusting thing, isn't it? But perhaps that's what Paul has in mind when he's considering his old dead self that he's carrying around, this body of death. I'm the body of death that I'm carrying around, this murderer, which is me. I'm carrying around. How disgusting is that? That's sin producing death. We think of wretchedness as, as evil, right? It's like, oh, they're a wretch, wretched person. Wretched here is teleporos. It is derived from the word talenton, which is the idea of weighing on a scale. Talents, that same word, uh, money, weighing money. But weight is the idea in para, which is a trial. It carries the idea of a heavy trial or burden, one who is afflicted heavily. Brings out a little more meaning, a new meaning to that. This word uh, is only used twice in the New Testament, once here and once in uh, Revelation, singular. <laughs> Sorry. So, who will deliver this heavy, dead, rotting body, which is me, from me, that I'm dagging around? This lament, like his, his soul being poured out, oh, wretched man that I am. Who? Who's going to do it? It's not that he didn't know. This, it, was, it, was right in, it was right there in front of him, that, that upward prize that he was running for or toward. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is certain in, in, of his deliverance found in Christ. I can't win the battles with sin, waging war within me. It is, it's more than I can bear. But there is one that, that, that defeated sin, Christ. Romans 8, 18 
says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All of our wretchedness, this weight, this decaying dead body that we're carrying around is nothing compared to the glory that awaits that, that we're running toward. We got this new master, Christ, that did all the work for us. No longer slaves to sin. We have this new mind, which is his spirit working in us. We, we are in the eyes of the Father, exactly like Christ. He sees the same righteousness that he sees in his son in us. He loves us in the same way that he loves his son. As Josh said, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does. Isn't that beautiful? It's an amen moment, but nobody ever does it. It's one of them things, is it? Thank you. Who said that? Thank you, Mike. Stumping for me. And Paul ends with this. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul is not willingly sinning here. We still own it. What he's saying is the reality, he has no other choice. It's too strong. That old dead, decaying body has infected you badly. You're dying, decaying. He's not giving up. He's just admitting that he can't do it. And, and just like Paul dragging we, our old dead selves, around. And battles are often lost, but... But the war was won at Calvary, and that, that, and that we rejoice. It's another amen moment. Okay. So the law is the righteousness of God. Do you desire the righteousness of God? Do you delight yourself in the law of God? Do you count it all joy, as James says? the various trials you're about to endure, do you let that patience in those trials have its perfect work with you, have its way? We used to hate righteousness when we were slaves of sin. We, we owed righteousness nothing. It was not our master. But we now love the righteousness of God because it is, it is given to us by him. And then we hate the sin on the other hand that is revealed by the law, this sin that is at war within us, we hate it. So, so don't be discouraged, dear brothers and sisters. <laughs> Sanctification is a slow process. We always feel like we should be further along. Why am I doing the same stupid thing that I did yesterday? Why am I falling right back into that? dreadful thing that I hate so much. But it's a work of the Spirit that resides in you. In that, be comforted. Sin has been defeated. It is being defeated, and it will ultimately be defeated. Your worth and your unworthiness are not dictated by your feelings. Are you brokenhearted over your sin? Repent and believe the gospel. Are you brokenhearted over your sin again? 
Repent and believe the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Over and over. Are you here today and unsure of your salvation? Well, ask yourself this. Have I broken God's law? The correct answer is yes. Repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> That's the command. What is the gospel? To sum it up as briefly as I possibly can, Christ died for sinners. Are you a sinner? If you just answered yes, you are a sinner. Repent and believe the gospel. And rejoice in the words of Paul as we begin next week in Romans 8. I'm jealous, by the way. Where Paul starts out with, there is no there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And a merciful Father, we thank you so much for this Lord's Day. I thank you for my dear brothers and sisters in Christ that came to hear your word. Lord, take this text, apply it to our hearts, let the preaching of your word go forth and accomplish all that you set it forth to do. This text is difficult to understand, and I pray that, that people will understand it better today. But we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemption found only in his shed blood. And we love you and we praise you. And it's the matchless name of Christ, your son, that we all pray and all of God's children said.